Bill C-311, a criminal code amendment which would protect pregnant mothers from violence and um, cause their perpetrators to be um, further punished, was recently debated and voted upon in Parliament. Today, I'm joined by Scott Hayward from right now to talk about that and what this means for Canadian politics and for the general public when it comes to nominating, electing um, pro-life politicians. Stay tuned. Hi folks, my name is Cam. I'm the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Um, as many of you know, June is a bit of a excuse me, a whirlwind of time for people like you and I. Many people are getting ready for the end of school, getting ready for summer vacation, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think that the same goes for Paul, um, Parliament as well in many places, that um, there are politicians who already have one foot in their summer um, retreat homes and vacation homes and that kind of thing. And yet one exciting thing that happened very recently was the debate and discussion around Bill C-311, which was presented by Conservative Member of Parliament Kathy Wagenthal. It was the same piece of legislation, or very similar to the legislation that she introduced in 2016, um, often referred to as Cassie and Molly's bill, uh, which would protect pregnant mothers and um, for pregnant mothers who are victims of violent crime, whether it's battery, whether it's assault, whether it's um, tragically something as, as terrible as murder and homicide, um, that being pregnant, um, the pregnancy would be a, a factor weighed by courts uh, when um, regarding the punishment of the perpetrators. And so a, a very important bill, tragically, this is something that has impacted the lives of over 80 pregnant mothers in recent years anyways. Um, this is something that is really, really important. And I'm glad that Kathy Wagenthal has taken the lead on this. And it's something that pro-lifers have had in the back of their minds for a long time. As we're going to talk about today, this is not the first time that this bill has been presented or similar bills to this fashion. Um, and I'm joined by um, Scott Hayward. He's been on the show a number of times before, a great friend of mine um, and organizationally um, friends as well with Right Now, a political organization dedicated to um, nominating and electing pro-life politicians so that we can pass pro-life legislation. I'm really excited for this conversation, not only because it'll give a, a bit more of a background on what this bill really entails, but also because Scott's going to give a little bit of insight into um, kind of the informative value of political discussion when it pertains to um, educational conversations. As, as you know, here on the show, uh, we are all about the street level apologetics, um, the street level rather than the sweet level, as it were, um, changing hearts and minds on abortion to make abortion unthinkable and how that dovetails with political conversation. And so I'm going to dive into this with Scott. I hope that you enjoy the conversation I have with him. Um, and thanks, as always, for tuning in. Here's my conversation with Scott Hayward. All right, folks, Scott Hayward, thanks a ton for being back, sir. How are you? Pretty good, man. Thanks for having me back. Really great to be back. Yeah, man, we got a lot of stuff to dive into. Um, Kathy Wagenthal's bill and just kind of the future of Canadian politics, the intersection of education and trying to build some nomination campaigns and all that kind of thing. But before I do, I got to ask you the million dollar question. What is going on with the dumpster fire of the Winnipeg Jets? Is this all just smoke and mirrors, people trying to get better contracts? Or is there actually going to be a rebuild in Winnipeg? You mean a million dollar question, more like the $30 million question, because apparently, <laughs> apparently Dubois agent, Pat Brisson, wants a minimum of, I think he said, 
$9 million, some of the $9 million range. And I don't know if a lot of people know this about NHL teams, but they often have what's called an internal cap. So the Winnipeg Jets had it for years and years and years with Blake Wheeler, who is their captain, and he's, you know, 8.125 or something like that. So no one gets more than that. And then in Montreal, where apparently Pierre-Luc Dubois really, really wants to play and has for his entire life, as do most Francophones, particularly from Quebec, and he's from just outside Montreal, they gave uh, Nick Suzuki, I think, $9 million or just under nine, like eight point something. So uh, I highly doubt that uh, Dubois is going to get more than that, but apparently... Apparently, um, you know, the LA Kings are really interested and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has a list of five or six teams that he's willing to sign and trade for. So um, it sounds like Kevin Shoveldayoff, who's the general manager for the Jets, has received a number of offers for PLD. He's received a number of offers for um, Connor Hallibuck. The weird thing about the Jets is that they have a lot of, you know, kind of like, I'm not going to call them superstars, but like, Mm. Probably underrated guys like Kyle Connor, who got the Lady Bing last year, Nikolai Ehlers, uh, Josh Morrissey, who was in the in the talk for um, the Norris, the club Norrissey in Winnipeg there. And these guys are there for another, you know, three, four, five years. So in terms of like a rebuild, I don't think they can really do a rebuild, even if they tried just with the contracts, it doesn't work. Um, they are a draft and develop team um, and they have some really great guys. I mean, every team loves their drafts and prospects, but um, Winnipeg is is known for that because look at, you know, guys like Ehlers and, and Morrissey and Hellebuck, who I think Hellebuck yeah. was like in the fourth round or something like that. So obviously they have that pedigree. So uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to cash in. It sounds like it's going to be more than just uh, picks and prospects. It sounds like they're going to get actual live players back. Um, from the rumors going around Winnipeg. So we'll see. Like, it'll be around the draft is is when we'll see a lot of the stuff, which, of course, is next week from this taping. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be big changes. Um, obviously, there's going to be some drafts and uh, picks and prospects involved in a lot of those packages. But I think a lot of people are ready to move on uh, from some of those players. And, um, yeah, I would call it a retool, not a rebuild. I know there's controversy between those terms, but that's the way that I would... Uh, how to present that that's totally fair i i had to ask especially because i mean obviously out here in calgary there's been a lot of talk about hellebuck and and like how do you replace a 65 start goalie and then mark shifley in the news and all that kind of stuff yeah. um i i could spend all episode just talking about the jets and hockey in general because obviously calgary is in flux as well um, but that's probably not what the audience is looking forward to especially because most of the audience is american and as we know no offense to you americans you don't appreciate hockey at all um South and Minnesotans and tell that to Michiganders. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, we got a lot of folks tuning in from California and New York and Florida and that kind of thing, and then a bunch of Europeans as well. So we, we might have a little bit more hockey talk. Maybe we'll do that at the end. But let's dive into the conversation around the recent Kathy Wagenthal Bill, Bill C three eleven, if if memory serves correct. Yeah. Um and Maybe maybe just kind of set the stage for people that are unfamiliar with this. This is a, a very similar bill to the one that she brought forward in 2016. Maybe maybe just bring our audience up to speed real quick on um, what this bill actually entailed and maybe when this came on your radar at right now and the role that you guys kind of played in promoting, talking about it. I, I know that um, lobbying politicians isn't your main thrust, but I'm sure that you guys are probably involved in the scenes at some point, either behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. Kind of set the stage for us. Yeah, okay. So maybe I'll answer the last part of that question first and just to make a distinction between what we do right now and what we do not do. So 
For those in the United States, our equivalent in the United States would be the Susan B. Anthony list. So we are focused at right now on nominating and electing uh, federal and provincial politicians uh, right across Canada uh, with the idea of building toward a pro-life majority in our federal and provincial legislatures so that when pro-life legislation is introduced, it can be passed. And that legislation can then have the effect, of course, of reducing the abortion and assisted suicide rates in Canada. Uh, so what we don't do is we're not a registered lobbyist with the under the Lobbyist Act. So we're, we're not meeting with members of parliament, with senators and with provincial representatives uh, you know, writing legislation, proposing legislation. A lot of times pro-life uh, uh, politicians will come to us and ask us about our ideas of proposed legislation. There's another organization in Canada that does do that work. They're really, really great at it. It's called, uh, they're called We Need a Law. Um, they, they'll do the research. Uh, they have a team of lawyers. They'll actually propose legislation and things like that. So this particular piece of legislation, Bill C-311, um, originated way, way back in the day. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that's back in the day in 2008. Uh, and that was a, a bill that was introduced. Um, this is before the Conservative Party of Canada had a majority in the House of Commons. And it actually passed second reading. So uh, for our American friends, of course, here in Canada, we have the Westminster parliamentary system because we're a constitutional monarchy. So every piece of legislation has to go through what's called three readings. It's similar to the United States. So first reading, you just read it and you introduce it. Uh, and then quite a bit of time later, oftentimes a private member's bill, there'll be something called the second reading. Uh, where you'll actually have at least an hour debate, and then there will be a vote in the House. And uh, the House will vote to continue debate at a proper committee. It'll go to committee for study. There might be proposed amendments at the committee. The committee will vote on it. They'll then come back to the House for a third and final reading at the report stage, where there will be a second vote. And then it goes to the other House. If it originates in the Senate, it goes to the House of Commons, vice versa. So this piece of legislation, when it was introduced to the private members bill from a Conservative Party of Canada backbencher in 2008, it actually passed second reading. So it was ready to go to committee. Um, it's, it's the only piece of pro-life legislation in the past you know, 30 plus years has actually passed the House of Commons once since Bill C-43 under the Mulroney government, which was in response to the um, to the uh, Morgan Taller decision of 1988. So uh, unfortunately, what happened is an election was called. Uh, the bill died on the order paper. So the uh, parliament never got to go to it. And then it wasn't reintroduced until 2016 or 17, 16, I believe, when, when Kathy Wagenthal introduced it again as a private member's bill from a conservative backbencher. But this time, the conservatives weren't in power um, and the conservatives were in opposition and in opposition, mind you, to a liberal majority. So um, there were, I believe, just under, just over about 70 uh, members of parliament that voted in favor of that legislation. Obviously, that wasn't enough. Um, and then it was reintroduced again um, the other week, uh, or, or pardon me, earlier this year, I believe in February, and it was voted on at second reading for the first vote the other week. And while it failed, um, you had about 40 or so new um, members of parliament vote for this legislation. Um, so it, it, you, had a, you had a huge increase there. Finally, to answer that last part of your question, which was the first part of your question, what does this legislation do? This legislation proposes that when a woman who is carrying child to term, who is pregnant, and she is either uh, physically assaulted, so battery, or to the point that she's murdered, either through manslaughter or homicide, that the judge, when considering sentencing, 
considers the fact that she was pregnant and intended to carry that child to term as an additional aggravating factor for, you know, maybe the judge was thinking, you know, this is a second degree murder and maybe he puts it up to first degree murder for that reason. Or perhaps it was manslaughter. And now because he's considering this aggravating factor, now it gets bumped up to, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, second degree murder, like a homicide, or it could even be in terms of sentencing, you know, for the length of sentencing and things like that. So that's what the legislation would propose is that if a pregnant woman is assaulted, either uh, physically in Canada, or she is murdered in Canada, that you allow the justice of the bench to consider that to be an aggravating factor for sentencing and um, both sentencing and for charges as well. Gotcha. That that's super helpful, and and that really sets the stage for okay. So we're we're building. This has been something that has been um, talked about in Parliament a couple times already. This was debated, and and so I guess from your vantage point, I, I'm sure that um, a vote is a vote in some ways, but in in other ways, I'm sure that there's probably discussion around uh, whether it's the discussion on the floor of Parliament, whether it's um, press releases or interviews that that members of Parliament are doing outside of that, maybe even uh, potential nominees who might be looking for election. What does a group like right now take out of a vote like this? Like, what are you guys looking at? Are you looking at what people are saying about the bill when it comes to writings that you're going to be trying to challenge or uh, members of parliament that you might be approaching to try to um, collaborate with on, on campaigns in the future? Or what, what are you guys looking at when it comes to a bill like this and being discussed in parliament? Yeah, so with pro-life legislation, what we're looking for is obviously who's voting what way, right? Because that's that's our that's our biggest factor. So if, if someone doesn't necessarily go out of their way to say that they're pro-life or, you know, um, is always kind of tweeting about it or something like that, but they have a 100% pro-life voting record, we're going to work uh, our butts off to make sure that that person uh, wins their nomination again and then, of course, wins re-election in their seat. So um, how people vote, how members of parliament vote on this particular piece of legislation, C-311, is going to inform us in that. And then, of course, if um, uh, someone doesn't vote the right way and uh, we have an opportunity to replace them at the nomination stage for their political party nomination for that riding for the next general federal election, uh, we will use uh, this information to inform our supporters in the riding as to why they should Get a, get a membership to that political party and vote for the pro-life candidate over the sitting uh, pro-abortion candidate. In this case, this legislation doesn't really deal with abortion or assisted suicide per se, but it is indicative, you know, are you recognizing that uh, the life in the womb has some sort of value, especially when targeted um, by someone who commits a heinous crime and for the simple fact that that should be considered an aggravating factor, uh, most especially with sentencing, it's very, very, very minimal. Um, so we, we look at things like that. One, one thing that was really positive about this piece of legislation is that every single conservative member of parliament voted in favor of this legislation, which is the first time that's happened for a piece of pro-life legislation in a very, very long time, uh, with two exceptions. Number one uh, being uh, Chris Dontremont from Nova Scotia, because at the time that this was being debated, he was the Speaker of the House because he's a deputy speaker. So, of course, the Speaker of the House doesn't vote on legislation unless there's a tie. And the other being Greg McLean, uh, who is the Conservative Member of Parliament for Calgary Centre. He just wasn't present in the House uh, that day. I have to go check to see if he missed just that vote or a bunch of votes. Of course, if he missed just that vote, then obviously he abstained and that's no good. Um, but if he missed a, a series of votes that day, then that suggests, you know, he was in meetings or whatever, and that's fine. That's what happens with uh, 
um, uh, members of parliament. And the other thing, because this is a piece of private members legislation, private members legislation typically is voted Wednesday evenings. So you don't necessarily know which piece of legislation is going to come what day. In terms of like what people are saying about this legislation, like that, that that's all positive that, you know, all the pro-life MPs were present, all the pro-life MPs voted for the legislation, even uh, members of parliament who are conservative members of parliament that aren't necessarily pro-life voted for this legislation as well. That's great. But in terms of the talking points, that's something that uh, we were actually quite disappointed in because a lot of the liberals um, tried to make this as, you know, this is abortion legislation and this is a back way, back end way of trying to get abortion, you know, back on the table in the house and whatnot, uh, which is just not true because the piece of legislation doesn't deal with abortion. But at the same time, um, a lot of the conservative members of parliament, including some pro-life members of parliament, just kind of cowered from having that debate, period. They would say, well, actually, this is the most pro, uh, pro-choice piece of legislation because a woman has made a choice to carry her child to term and you're not respecting that choice when someone wants to you know, beat her physically or murder her and the child that she's carrying in her womb. Um, that's true in a sense, but at the same time, you, they, they still are shying away from having that fight publicly, either on the floor of the House of Commons, in the foyer, in front of the House of Commons with media, or on social media with uh, Twitter or Facebook or whatever, uh, a lot of conservatives are still shying away from the debate, especially because that comes from the leadership down. And that's not good. And that, that lack of response, that really weak response, was something that we were very, very disappointed in. Uh, the other thing, too, is as much as we support this piece of legislation, it would be great to see... Um, some actual pieces of legislation that target the abortion rate to reduce the abortion rate. So one uh, thing I'll give Kathy is that she is working with a gentleman by the name of Jeff Durham, whose uh, girlfriend uh, that was carrying their child to term at the time was murdered. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why she was murdered. And so um, they, they knew that the child in the womb was a girl and that uh, they had named her. So uh, the mother and the daughter's name were Cassie and Molly, and so that was known as Cassie and Molly's Law. So, you know, Kathy has been wor- still working with Jeff to keep trying to push this legislation forward, so I'll give her that. Kathy was also the one in the last parliament to introduce the same-sex, uh, um, same-sex, pardon me, sex-selective abortion uh, legislation would have made sex-selective abortion illegal. So in Canada, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of girls uh, across this country that pre-born girls are targeted in the womb to be aborted for the simple fact that they are girls. Uh, that would actually reduce the abortion rate, not by a huge amount, but it would you know, reduce the abortion rate. So things like you know, pain capability or heartbeat legislation or you know, late-term abortion bans, these are the types of things that we want to see because these are debates uh, that I think a lot of Canadians would like to see. Most Canadians, when you look at most polls, will say, yeah, I identify as pro-choice, but it's pro-choice with exceptions. It's not like Justin Trudeau is where, you know, abortion for any reason at any time for all nine months of pregnancy, it is I'm pro-choice, but yeah, maybe not, you know, sex selective and maybe not late term. And yeah, only if the life of the mother is in uh, jeopardy or yeah, as soon as the heartbeat comes in, we shouldn't have, you know, so so these are the types of things that I would like to see from pro-life members of parliament put forward going uh, put forward on a go forward basis. Gotcha. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and yeah, to give... I, I'm sure that you guys would find it incredibly useful to be able to find kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, as it were. That that in some ways, yeah, that that you've got 100 and what was it, 116 people, 113. 
113 voting for this, but obviously they're they're not all rock solid pro lifers kind of thing. You're aiming for 170 pro lifers in the House to be able to um, pass pro life legislation, that kind of thing, and to be able to have something that really presses the issue a little bit more so that as a um, nomination and election oriented group, you're able to see, okay, this is a, whether it's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, whether it is somebody who, you know what, this, this is something that I might be able to build capital with social conservatives without actually um, risking anything based on my talking points, that kind of thing. Um, I, I'm going to throw a weird question to you. Um, it's something that I've talked to a, a number of other um, political ones. So you named a whole bunch of different bills that, that might suggest one. And and this might be a dumb, dumb bill, but I'm curious in your thoughts. I, I talked to um, folks around Kathy Wagenthal about this. So you had a bit of a, I don't know if it's a Freudian slip or whatever, but um, the, the same sex um bill kind of thing that that's obviously not what it was i'm curious sex what selective, thoughts, yeah sex selective is is what it was um i i have talked to people about the notion of like i would absolutely support legislation that said that if ever um a uh a predisposition if if there was a genetic link towards same-sex attraction if there's a genetic link towards that um tragically I, i'm sure there are people that might consider abortion because of a genetic diagnosis of this child is going to be predisposed towards same-sex attraction. I, I know that's a big, um, about a bit of a, a lightning rod, obviously. What do you think about a bill that proposed that? Do you think that, that would be a a bill that would divide the vote and and challenge people on the perspective of, of like in, in the same vein as a sex selective abortion bill, but, but to put into print, you know what, if ever a, a genetic link was made towards same-sex attraction, it is illegal to kill a child because of that um, same-sex attraction. What, what do you think of that? Is that too many issues coming together? Is that a dumb idea? Is that something that, that might have legs if it was written the right way? What, what do you think on something like that? Just out of curiosity. I think from a communications perspective, it would be really interesting. From a legislative yeah. perspective, I think it would be difficult for the obvious reason that something yeah. like that has has yet to be found and, and might yeah. never ever be found. From the pro-life perspective, like I've yet to come on pro-lifer that would say, yeah, actually, you know, I don't support that. Uh, you should be able to kill a person because they uh, are not heterosexual or have a predis- predisposition to not be heterosexual as uh, as time goes on. Um, it would put those who are pro-abortion in a very awkward position, no doubt. And that was the beauty about the sex-selective abortion bill. Uh, you know, you're a supposed feminist, you know, uh, a woman's right to choose, uh, you know, a woman's body. Well, what about the body of the female who is a woman at a very early stage um, in, in the womb? And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really too bad that uh, a lot of professional conservatives uh, who work in full time for the Conservative Party of Canada, who work in the Office of Leader of the Opposition or for various provincial, you know, conservative parties across Canada, uh, don't embrace something like this. Uh, because in addition to actually reducing the abortion rate, again, not by much, but still reduces it, it puts the other side in a very, very awkward position. Uh, same thing with uh, pain capability. Um, I know that in Ontario, um, it was actually from an NDP um, MPP. That's what they call their provincial politicians, Ontario member of provincial parliament, but put forward legislation basically saying, you know, if if a child, because they'll do the genetic testing oftentimes here in Canada for uh, women who are carrying children in the womb, uh, if a child looks like they might have Down syndrome, a lot of the times in the healthcare system, unfortunately, there'll be all kinds of doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals um, that swarm the family saying, oh, you know, it's going to be really tough. You know, you might want to consider abortion, termination, whatever language they want to use. And disability rights activists across this country have noticed that. 
And um, now you have people on le the left wing of the political spectrum who are kind of taking up this fight as well. And the more and more that you can create within law and political discussion that not every single abortion is morally right within the minds of the society. Now, of course, someone like you and I, a lot of the listeners would say abortion is never morally right. But starting where a lot of other people are from, if you can get them to that point, like, ah, eh, maybe not every abortion is morally right. You know, you start to move them down the pro-life spectrum. So um, the other thing, like you mentioned, like having these, I guess, suppose harder, if you will, pieces of legislation that target abortion directly or assisted suicide directly to actually reduce those rates, it does separate the wheat from the chaff for us. So for example, we'll look at, you know, the Conservative Party of Canada and the Conservative Caucus, right? And if you have certain members of Parliament that are voting in favor of the sex selective abortion bill uh, to make that, you know, odious practice illegal, um, then we know, okay, these are the people we really need to protect in the next election and make sure that, you know, to maybe increase, you know, if some of them are in some tight seats to increase their margin of victory in the subsequent election versus those uh, like, for example, Pierre Polyev, who voted against that legislation, who want to keep sex selective abortion. We want to make sure that those conservative MPs next time that there's a nomination race, that we find some who's pro-life in the riding. We build a database of pro-life supporters for right now in that riding, sell the memberships to the party so that we can challenge them in the nomination. This is something we actually saw provincially in Alberta leading to the election that just happened. Um, we had someone uh, by the name of Chantal Dion who had challenged, um, she's gone already, I can't even remember her name, Alila Ahir, uh, who's probably one of the most pro-abortion uh, uh, who, uh, who was one of the most pro-abortion MLAs, so member of the Legislative Assembly, so what they call the Provincial Politicians in Alberta, in the United Conservative Party of Alberta Caucus. And uh, she sold a bunch of memberships. She took over the Riding Association Board of Directors, and she so scared Leela that Leela said, you know what, I'm not even going to bother with this nomination. I'm just going to resign. So um, this does work. And having those pieces of legislation where you we can go to people, uh, that we build uh, in our database and say, listen, you know, it's it's not just us. Like, we don't like this person. We like this person instead. Here's the proof. You can go to the website. This is the way they voted. This is their voting record. That's why you want to get rid of them. This person's going to vote the opposite way. They're going to vote pro-life. That's why you want to get them in. You want to retire this person early and get someone pro-life into your riding. And so it, it does work. The, the, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Well, exactly. And and that's why obviously we we at CSPR love working with you guys because not only is it working, but it but it's working in a direction that that really mobilized volunteers in a very committed kind of way. We we saw that with Chantel, we've seen it with others. Uh, I'm curious, as we start winding down here, I, I'm sure that you're probably not gonna spill the entire um inner workings. Are are you guys working on by elections right now? Are you moving towards nominations? I know obviously that we're a long ways out from a general election in uh federally. Uh, we we've obviously just gone through that in Alberta here. I I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff in the news about New Brunswick. What, what are you guys working on when it comes to um, nominations coming up, by-elections, that kind of thing? How are you guys going to be able to leverage this? And and where might listeners, as we start to progress towards kind of the action items, um, where might they be able to, to help out, whether it's as phone callers, whether it's as door knockers and collecting info, selling memberships, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So... As we speak here at the end of June of 2023, we're a bit of a lull here in Canada. We don't really have a whole lot of uh, provincial elections coming up anytime soon. There would be uh, Saskatchewan next year in 2024, um, BC next year in 2024, but Alberta just had theirs, Manitoba is about to have theirs this autumn. 
uh, last spring was Ontario's, last uh, autumn was uh, uh, Quebec's, and all, mostly Atlantic, but like Prince Edward Island just had theirs earlier this year. Nova Scotia had theirs two years ago. Uh, New Brunswick's not due until I think next year anyway. Uh, maybe the year after that. And uh, so like, and, and then federally, you know, it's a minority parliament, but they have the uh, confidence and supply agreement between the Liberals and the NDP, uh, which is a borderline coalition. So most people I talk to on the Hill, they don't think that uh, that parliament's going to expire anytime before 2025. So in the meantime, we're, we're in a build phase. So uh, my colleague Alyssa and I, it's, it's the first time. So I just got off paternity leave. And just before that, she just got off maternity leave. We both have two kids. And so um, Alyssa and I, this is the first time we've actually worked together with no COVID-19 restrictions in four years. So we're looking to go do us some fundraising because unlike four years ago, uh, Alyssa got married. I got married. She got kids. I have kids. Uh, so the situation is a little bit different than four years ago. You know, four years ago, uh, leading to the 2019 election campaign, we worked six hour days, uh, 10 hour days for basically eight months straight going right into the uh, that October election. You know, I don't think my wife is going to let me do that. I don't think Aaron, Alyssa's husband is going to let her do that either. So we're in a process this year of fundraising so we can hire more people in specific areas across the country. Um, speaking of uh, kids and needing to hire more people, my daughter, who's supposed to be in for a nap time right now, just came in here. Come here, Anastasia. So, um, yeah. Say hi. Uh, so uh, we're, we're working on that. And then uh, once we find enough people, it's building the database across the country, right? You know, if you look at most polls across Canada, uh, and they and rarely do they ask this question because they know it's it's kind of embarrassing. Um, and I was just talking to our good friend Jonathan about this the other day. We went to go visit him. We were discussing this over a nice bottle of wine. Um, that uh, in Canada, if you look at most polls of those who uh, think that abortion should be illegal all the way from conception onward, that has increased. Oh, okay. I know, I know, kiddo, it's boring. Yeah, nap time. Um, most uh, of those polls, like 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, would have maybe 11, 12% uh, that would subscribe to that. Probably you and I would believe, right, that abortion should not be allowed all the way from conception onward. That has increased in a lot of the recent polls to something more like 20-ish percent, maybe even a little bit more. So if you extrapolate that number across 40 million Canadians, because we just passed 40 million the other day, you're talking like five, six, seven million Canadians that believe that abortion should be illegal all the way from conception uh, onward. So you know, we, we have a database that right now of 30,000 people. Our goal is to have a thousand pro-lifers identified in every federal riding with their names, numbers, and contact information. You're talking like two and a half, maybe 3% of those 100% pro-life Canadians. So that's what we're trying to build uh, going forward to uh, 2030. In the meantime, as these elections come on and we're able to find good, well-rounded pro-life candidates and we're able to build the database, that's when we need the door knockers. That's when we need... Um, uh, the phone callers to help sell memberships for these pro-life candidates. And once we win those uh, uh, nominations, like Chantel did, for example, help them get elected in those ridings by doing those things. So in the meantime, while we're in this building phase, you know, 
if you're out there and you're interested and you're like, you know what, I, I want to help build the database, right? Because you might know, for example, in your church or synagogue or mosque or Gurdwara, like, yeah, there's 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 all these people I know that are pro-life. Well, I can guarantee you they're not on our database, but they should be because otherwise they're not getting this information. So if you want us to come and do a presentation or you'd like to do a petition drive, for example, uh, your religious community, please let me know. And you can contact us. We're all over online. www.startsrightnow.ca is our website. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and you can uh, contact me directly with my email, scott at itstartsrightnow.ca, and we can get that all set up. Boom. We're going to drop all that in the show notes below. Thanks a ton, Scott. You heard him, folks. Sure. Um, so much of this is about building right now. Building right now. It's a, an organization that, that is near and dear to my heart and um, to CSPR as well and Pro-Life Guys podcast in general. So if you're not plugged in with them already as a financial partner, please absolutely do that. Um, I, I've been talking to a lot of our supporters here about um, the, the stuff that you pay people to do is the stuff that either you're not able to do or you're not willing to do, right? That, that I am... I am not able to do a lot of the, the construction in my house and I'm not willing to do it either because I'm not with, re- willing to risk burning down my house and electricity, <laughs> me and my family kind of thing. I pay an electrician to do stuff that I'm not able and willing to do. Um, I, I pay a plumber. I pay people to remove the squirrels from our attic, that kind of thing, stuff that I'm not able to do. How much more so for doing um, pro-life culture war fighting and nominating and electing politicians, right? It's something that many of us are not able to do and for a variety of reasons, it's something that many of us are not willing to do. The idea of going door to door, hounding um, people, selling memberships, um, doing all the meetings and vetting of um, political candidates and stuff that people like me, I'm, I'm not in a position to be able to do that. And so if I'm not in a position to be able to do that, and yet I recognize the urgency of it, um, absolutely, let's put our money where our mouth is and support a group like right now. That's phenomenal. Um, Scott, well, I got to well, yeah, yeah. Real quick, yeah, is, is, yeah. is the, the, the nice thing about right now for volunteering with us is that th- there are certain seasons, right? So um, it's it's only during election time that we really ask people to, you know, do maybe a door knocking shift once a week for a six week campaign and one one shift would be like three hours. So, you know, we're asking you for 18 hours federally and then 18 hours provincially, basically once every four years. Like it's, it's, it's very, very little investment that you can make in terms of time that is going to have that return on investment. Um, so of course, like CCBR, the the thing that we ask for the two most precious things from people, which is their time and their treasure. But of course, you know, where your treasure is, is where your heart lies. So all, all people who are watching this, they really have to ask themselves, you know, what am I going to invest in, in terms of time, what little time that you probably have, if you're watching this and listening to this also with w- what financial resources you have, what am I going to invest it in? And what am I getting, what am I buying with that? Right? So what we tell people is our goal when you invest with us is we're trying to buy you legislation that reduces the abortion assisted suicide rate. It's not going to happen quickly, mind you, but the more and more time and money is invested now at the beginning, the quicker we can uh, expedite and exacerbate that uh, process. Exactly. Exactly. We all want to see the success that we've been seeing in in America, in Poland, in Malta, places like that. And many of the reasons why those groups are successful is because they're very well funded and they're able to hire the right people and do the right job. So thanks a ton on that, Scott. You're going to be my guinea pig. We're going to do one last um, little session here. It's going to be a little bit of rapid fire, a little bit of questions coming from a bunch of different angles here. I'm going to try to get you really complex questions, some very simple questions. If you can try to answer them in between 30 seconds and a minute, that'd be phenomenal. They're going to be a range of different topics. First one is a bit of a layup. What is the educational value of 
political discussion on abortion, whether it's a bill like this, how does this impact what people in general are thinking about abortion? What's it? So run, run that by me again. What's the educational yeah. value? of abortion being discussed in politics. Obviously, groups like CCBR, we, oh, we are focused on, on street level. What is the educational value of having this debated in politics? Yeah, it's great to have it uh, come to the floor of the House of Commons or provincial legislatures because it gets into the media. It's something that has to be discussed. It's something that forces politicians to actually address. Um, now, of course, if they do it in a very uh, awful way or a very scared way, it doesn't have the effect. But like one of the pieces of legislation I would love to see eventually introduced in the House of Commons is legislation to um, ban abortion from the, the, the time that a, a child feels pain. So Pain Capability Act all the way forward because it brings into the political discussion the humanity of the child in the womb. Uh, and, and stuff like that, I think is really important. And, uh, it just, it just helps what you guys are doing at CCBR in terms of education, bring it to another level. And that's the level of politics. Cool. Tougher question. When you're on the road, what is your go-to quick meal? Or are you a, a fast food yeah. guy or you uh, always have to be a sit down? Where are you going? If, if you finish up a presentation at 1030 at night and you got to get something to, something to eat before you head back to the host and where are you going? Well, if it's if it's ten thirty at night, there's not a whole option. So usually, usually at that point, it's it's probably a beer. Uh, if I'm being honest, but yeah, if, if if it's open, pita pit is usually what I go to, and then uh, especially during uh, Lent with the with the fast that I'm typically on. And if it's yeah. a little bit more time, I find like a good kind of like in between that only like you're you're in and out within forty five minutes, and you're not there for like a super long time, and it's a decent price for what you're getting is Boston Pizza. Boston pizza. I love it. I, I feel like I've been to every Boston pizza in British Columbia <laughs> through my baseball team um, growing up. And so I, I love that one. Um, Crown Jewel, if, if you could replace any member of parliament, I, I'm sure that there's natural like inclinations towards Justin Trudeau or whatever. If you could replace one politician in parliament um, that is not in the Conservative Party, who are you replacing? Lately, I would say uh, Marcy Ian in uh, Toronto Centre. She's she's been uh, pretty. Uh, she seems to be kind of like the the Liberals' abortion uh, point person on that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think like in the other caucuses, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth May for a variety of reasons for the Greens, um, for the NDP. Um, yeah, that that one's a little bit tough. Um, but I would I would say Marcy Ian right now would be would be the one that I would want to replace. With, with obviously someone who's pro-life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, three more for you here. Next one up, if you could bring back a politician from the past to be part of today's politics, whether to be part of the discussion, the debate, to be leading the, the camp, something, somebody who's not in office right now, it can be way back when, it can be very recently, who are you bringing back? Are deceased or are still alive? Deceased, alive, anybody. This could be like an ancient hero. This could be a contemporary hero. Um, could be literally anyone. Somebody you want fighting in the realm of politics. Yeah, I would love to see someone like Harold Albrecht come back yeah. <laughs> or, or uh, David Anderson. Like those two were fantastic uh, on our issue. Um, and, and I say that because I actually, you know, worked with them. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure there's many others that I didn't work with that coming back would be uh, really great as well. Uh, Joe Borowski, um, I mean, he he's, comes from um, my... Uh, 
Bob Shingito's uh, hometown of Winyard in Saskatchewan, and he's uh, actually buried right beside, uh, or not right beside, but pretty close to my great-grandparents when I go visit the cemetery there. I mean, that was a guy who who basically lost everything and uh, stood up for his beliefs, and he was an NDP MLA in Manitoba. So uh, those would be, maybe be the three that I would um, immediately come to mind that I would want to bring back. Love it. Um, ideal destination to be doing campaigning. I, are you, uh, I want to be campaigning in Ontario. I want to be, I want to find a way to get out to Atlantic Canada. I want to find a way to get out to BC. Where would you love to be able to go to spend a little bit of time to do nomination stuff? I love, I love, um, I've, I've yet to like go to a place in Canada that I really, really, really despise. I suppose like downtown Toronto would be, would be it. <laughs> Uh, but other than that, like, I love, I love, uh, campaigning across this country. I, I've been able to meet so many cool people, go to so many cool places. It's, it's like probably my, my favorite part of, of my job. Uh, now that was easier said than before I was married with kids. Now, of course, I want my family to come with me, but obviously that's not always the case. So my absolute favorite place, one of my favorite, I was just discussing this with someone, my, my, one of my favorite places in Canada is Lunenburg. Uh, just south of uh, Halifax along the coast there. And I love spending time there. There's this there's this perfect, absolute perfect bed and breakfast that have these phenomenal beers that I'm addicted to because you can only get them in Nova Scotia. And they have the best clam chowder I've ever had. Uh, and, and Lunenburg's known for, I think it's the Adams Company, like really, really mm. big scallops. The East Coast has ruined, for this prairie boy, because I'm originally from Manitoba, the East Coast has ruined seafood for me forever because I just can't go back, right? Because like it's, it's caught that day and then it's on my plate that night. Um, so that's, that's where I like campaigning, uh, for selfish personal reasons. Love it. Folks, if you're in Atlanta, Canada, get Scott out there. Two more questions real quick. What is the funniest part of working with Alyssa Galob um, at right now? Funniest part? Ah, uh, the things that she says, uh, mm. are, are just hilarious. She, she brings a, uh, uh, like a, like a level of, um, just joyfulness and, and kind of light backness, um, that maybe that I don't quite have. Um, she's also a person that has like other interests. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty good, but yeah, she's, she's always, she's, she has a great sense of humor. She can take a joke. She can, she can jab as well. And the repartee between us is, uh, is it can be a lot of fun. Love it. Last question. Where do people donate? How do they get plugged in with uh, right now? How do they donate towards building up the mission that you guys have to be able to nominate and elect more pro-life politicians that can actually get pro-life legislation in Canada? That's probably the best question you've had so far. Um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the website that you can go because you can donate online is www.itstartsrightnow.ca slash donate. Pretty simple. So if you go to our website, it's in the top right corner, the big red button. And uh, yeah, any financial investment uh, that comes into our organization, especially on a monthly basis because we're building toward people's salaries because we want to buy a... a uh, get by other people. Wow. No, we want to hire other people, uh, buy, buy their time. And the only way to do that through a uh, monthly financial investment. So, uh, you know, we have people that, that give what they can, which we're greatly appreciative for from as little as three or $5 a month to a gentleman all the way up to a gentleman that gives $2,000 a month and everything in between. And, and it really adds up. So, uh, we'd be greatly appreciative for it beauty let's make it happen folks thanks a ton scott for taking the time to join the show i wish you all the best with all the upcoming campaigns and growth right now appreciate it thanks cam
All right, folks, that is Scott Hayward from Right Now, one of my favorite pro-life organizations here in Canada and ultimately around the world as well. They do incredible work. It's been a blast working with him, uh, with Alyssa, with many of their volunteers and team members across the country. They're phenomenal um, and, and doing great work. And as you can see, we have momentum building. They, they recently shared a graphic on their Facebook that showed um, – that over the last kind of five, six years, we have seen significant growth in the number of politicians willing to vote in favor of these pro-life legislation starting in 2016, moving towards 2021, and most recently here just a couple of weeks ago in 2023. And how important it is to have vibrant and regular political conversation in the, whether it's the House of Commons, whether it's in provincial parliament, whatever it may be, um, so valuable. Uh, Scott definitely touched on it, obviously, in that rapid fire question there. Just to expand upon that a little bit further, I think that there is tremendous educational value in um, in having this conversation. I, I can't say that we're doing it incredibly well, or not we per se, but, but politicians, as Scott mentioned, are, are not using this as the opportunity that it can be. Because one of the opportunities that um, debating abortion in politics brings is that it catches the attention of the media. Many of us obviously complain um, sometimes to no end about the lack of media coverage of pro-life initiatives, whether it's covering events at small scale like 40 Days for Life or talks or presentations around rich campaigns that we're doing. Well, it's even something larger like the, the Canadian March for Life, whether in Ottawa or in one of the provinces, and how little media coverage there is. And yet when abortion gets into conversation in politics, it often forces politicians to talk about it and the media can't help but cover them. At this point, it's really easy for the media to cover it because often a lot of left wing, whether it's liberal NDP or Bloc Québécois, um, politicians come out with very strong, very... Um, confident statements about their unwavering support of abortion in Canada, that kind of thing. This is an opportunity for pro-life politicians to offer insight into um, the abortion crisis in Canada, natural development of human life, the value of human life, a, a tremendous number of things like that. And so while current politicians are really not using this as the opportunity that they should, um, as Scott related to, this can be a great lightning rod for pro-life conversation um, because it's coming up in conversation. This, So many people ask me at presentations, workshops, talks, whatever it may be, how do you start conversations about abortion? Obviously, at CCBR, what we do is we proactively engage people. We, we ask them what they think about abortion and then have a conversation from there. But that might be kind of weird in your place of work or, or even at your family's dinner table. And yet the fact remains that it is vital that we are having these conversations. And so bearing all that in mind, politics, again, gives us an opportunity. This is something that is newsworthy, noteworthy. You may have very well have read it in a newspaper, online, on social media, that kind of thing. Little sound bites here and there are covered on the radio, whatever you tune into. And to be able to broach the topic of like, hey, did you hear about that unborn victims of crime legislation that was going um, in Parliament? Hey, what do you think about what Justin Trudeau said about this? Or what do you think about Kathy Wagenthal's bill? Or did you know that a pregnant mother could get murdered because she's pregnant and her abusive boyfriend, spouse, significant other, whomever it may be, um, attacked her, maybe even because she wouldn't have an abortion? And that isn't an exasperating factor when it comes to his punishment. Um, isn't that kind of messed up? Isn't that kind of weird? Let's talk about the substance of the bill. You don't need to be a political junkie to be able to discuss this because at the end of the day, we want the conversation to come back to the humanity of preborn children. 
Um, I, I'm sure that many of the conservative members of parliament would, would try to debate me on this based on their reluctance to address the, the abortion issue at all. But this is an incredible opportunity to crack the conversation open on abortion, that, that it is absolutely bonkers that a pregnant mother can be targeted and, and be a victim of violence for the explicit reason of her being pregnant. And that isn't factored into, um, the, the punishment that that perpetrator would get. This is a great opportunity to get people thinking about the humanity of preborn children and how that relates to abortion and the abortion crisis in Canada. And so I think this is a really good opportunity. I, I really appreciate Scott um, joining for the conversation. I hope that you do check out um, their their organization, their website. It starts right now.ca. Um, please do financially partner with them because they are looking to expand and, and we work very closely with them to be able to build that grassroots um, pro-life initiative so that we can um, while making abortion unthinkable, also kind of mobilize people into grassroots political efforts as well. So thanks a ton for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you have questions, if you have other topics that you'd love for me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out. Email at prolifeguys.com. Um, hit me up with your episode suggestions, your guest suggestions, anybody else like that. Um, I will work on it as best as I possibly can in the midst of all of the business of this summer. And so thanks a ton for joining and may God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Thanks a ton.